right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time sex. Alright? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it, Glenn Cross! Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Schwert and Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320-KLWN. I have successfully eaten enough sugary uh, candy before the show to ensure that uh, I'll probably run out of the studio at some point to vomit. That's honestly, that's the ultimate sign of a great candy. Is it so good that you can't stop eating it even past the point of discomfort? Even past the point of your stomach feeling full and disgusted that you're still shoveling that candy into your mouth. If that's the case, then you probably got yourself a pretty good candy. Nobody does that with bad candy. You know, you're not going to do that with dots. When's the last time you had a dot? Halloween of 2013. Wow. I have no idea. It's a very specific recall. <laughs> We're going to talk more about candies. I have, I have more to say on this. Uh, we've got a three-hour show, so mm. I will be talking about candies later on in the show. But I don't want to talk about that right now. Right now, I want to talk about the retirement tour that is already off and running for Mike Shashevsky, commonly referred to as Coach K, who announced yesterday that he will be retiring at the end of this coming season, his former player and now associate head coach John Shire will be taking over. I didn't watch the whole press conference. Did you see? Did you watch any of it? I just saw the beginning. Yeah, that's fitting. Uh, the only part that I cared about was the beginning before he started talking because of the uniqueness to how Coach K was introduced. He walks up to this. I don't know where they're doing this at. It's. Somewhere in Cameron, I, I would assume. He he walks in, and there's already people sitting down, but it didn't look like a press corps because they're, like, clapping and cheering. So I, I don't know. I don't know who all was there. Maybe they're athletic department workers or staffers, whatever. They start playing that song, that song that they play before the games. I, I, do they play it before the games or timeouts? Yeah. They, they turn it down a little bit. What's it, what's it called? Um Cascada is the singer. It's every time we touch. Every time we touch. Okay. They play this before every game. Yeah. And the fans are clapping like this. Yeah. They're doing like the, what is that, the Icelandic clap or whatever? Yeah, but it looks so awkward. Yeah. And then they start jumping up and down this part. And, like, the players are going crazy. There's a video I put out on Twitter earlier today of uh, Grayson Allen. When he did Midnight Madness his senior year, they did the introductions, and they could all come out to a song. He came out to this song, and he's running around. And the second, like, the beat dropped, and when that part hit, like, they start jumping up and down like like a celebratory Thing. It's a banger. I don't know. It's the most Duke thing ever <laughs> for for this to be like their anthem. And I'm not saying you shouldn't have anthems. Kansas doesn't really have one in that regard. Like, oh yeah, I guess they do. They've got the um, what, what is it? The hum. Yeah. Does that count as KU's anthem? Is that the? Equivalent? I want to say way cooler, but like that could just be because you know like. I went to Kansas, so maybe I just think it's cooler and doctrine that way. But I feel like if you asked a random fan. Like, That's relatively a, new. That's very new. Yeah. Ask a Kentucky fan or just ask like a random college basketball fan and be like, what would you rather have your pregame? This? Or the hum? Yeah. Can you pull up the hum so we can hear the difference? I'll give you a second. Uh, the hum is has only been around for five years, I want to say. Because it's a, it's a newer song. That song's from the 90s, like the late 90s. And I just assumed it was uh, 
I think it's nicknamed the hum. I don't know what it's actually called. Oh, so you can't find it? No. Uh, it's with Lil John, isn't it? Yeah, which also makes me think if I play it, there's going to be something in there that I regret. Oh, it's fine. Just apologize later. <laughs> um. Yeah, I I don't I don't know. I couldn't tell you. I I didn't know there were any words in it at all. Because they only play the first couple minutes of it at KU games. And I can't do it. I can't hum. I would do it. I would sing it. I would hum it. I, I can't do it. I don't. It's not really one that lends itself to... There's not any lyrics that I know of, are there? I don't know. I have a music video up. I'm afraid All right, to play just, it. Just play Let's it. see dude. what happens. Play it. We'll apologize later if something bad happens. Are we on delay? Yeah. Yeah, this is it. Okay. Well, there we go. That's that, enough. That now. didn't take long. Yep. It just Maybe there's not. Just fast forward a little bit. You think? It yeah. took 30 seconds. I'm looking at the lyrics. All it says is raise them up when the bass be dropping. That says that a million times. That's the only lyrics to the song. Is this it? Is this the song? Yeah. They probably just only take a certain part out of it. This part. This part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Music video is wild. Is it really? Like people riding elephants? Naked chicks? This is the part they play at KU Games. We do a mix of both. Dude, no, absolutely not. No, dude, no, no, no. I just want to hear one. Okay, okay. Okay, so this is the part they play KU games. Juxtapose that. So turn that one down. And now let me hear what it sounds like to be in Cameron Indoor Stadium ahead of a big game for Duke. Okay, so you said that you think the KU1 is way cooler because you're biased. <laughs> I think it's at this it's objectively better because it would take it would take it would take you know silence would be better. Than Duke's and and I'm I'm not just saying that because I hate Duke. I'm saying it because it's you know it's a bad techno pop song from the '90s. There's a reason that genre of music died because it was god awful. But it's it lives on in infamy <laughs> in Cameron Indoor Stadium, and it lives on in Mike Shashevsky's uh, press conference today. He walks in. He walks in to that song. And then the weasel gets up there in front of the podium and starts clapping his hands to it like they're doing it together, which tells me that it's not dying. They're gonna let no. that's gonna live on forever. The most cringeworthy part had to be the people in like who were the people in the audience? There were people in the audience like it felt like the, standing I, up like they right. looked like students. Yeah, but it was like I th- I thought this was like a press conference. Like shouldn't have those been like journalists? Like yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the I think that'd be really weird if that was, imagine it was like the AP writer got up time. and was just. I have a hard time <laughs> b- believing it. I'll tell you this, man. Um, you know, Mike Shashevsky, whatever was left of his <laughs> his legacy and reputation was gone in, in that in those sixty seconds. I mean, it's over. It's over. And I I, I think the banner should come down. Mm. I say we we burn Cameron down and piss on the ashes. Like that, it's done. Build a go-kart track over where it used to be. Hall of Fame. We rescind his Hall of Fame. Do you think uh, Zion would lose all of his endorsements that he's earned in the NBA if they found him, like, a video of him vibing to this? Yeah, I think Zion has to come out publicly just to save his own... Denounce it? Save his own ass. He needs to come out 
publicly and say I had nothing to do with that. I only went to Duke for the money. Uh, I never, <laughs> I only went to Duke for the bags. I never, never once got along with or communicated with Coach K. He means nothing to me. Now that Coach K is going to retire, John Shire is going to take over. One thing that's undoubtedly going to take a bit of a hit, even though he's their number one recruiter, or so I've heard, is, is like recruiting, you'd imagine, is going to dissipate a little bit because it's going to be easier for other coaches to recruit against Duke simply by saying, hey, man, that was Coach K that was sending everybody to the NBA. Like That was Coach K who was there for 40 years winning those games, bringing them titles. You're really going to go and, and spend a year with this 34-year-old who's just getting his legs under him as a head coach? And that may not be long-term, but in the immediate future, like Duke recruiting is going to uh, gonna take a hit. Like I just cannot see them continuing to bring in the number one class year after year after year. It's one thing for John Shire to be a good recruiter when he's recruiting to the brand of Duke when he's recruiting to say you're going to be coached by Coach K. It's another thing for John Shire to recruit a kid and go to play for me. Yeah, I mean, listen, Shire got, I think he was the lead recruiter in Zion uh, in and in Jason Tatum. So, like, he goes out and gets those guys, but you're right. That was when he was a recruiter. Now you're a head coach. It's a little bit different. I think the, the guy who benefits the most from this is John Calipari. Because for, what was it, four years in a row, five years in a row, when Kentucky had the number one class, and then Duke started to dip their toes into that one-and-done water, and it's basically been sort of flip-flopping back and forth between the, those two schools. And you could argue that over the past five, six years, Duke has actually brought in the better, higher-profile, more consistently quality recruiting classes. And you'd have to think that at least one potential outcome from Coach K's retirement is that Kentucky's going to go back to dominating recruiting and just ev- watching everybody else sort of compete for second place. But I don't know if that's... I don't know if things work like that in college basketball. It feels like they're constantly just like moving in a new direction and, and seldom do things just go back to the way they were. Even if you remove somebody from the equation... It's just hard for me to imagine us going back in time where it's just, oh, everybody goes to Kentucky every year. Like, they're going to get the top three or four recruits or five of the top 30 recruits in the country. Like, that was a reality at one point. I'm not sure I imagine that happening again. No, but I, I also think we might be headed there, like, regardless. Just because, like, like, Kentucky's not really doing that anymore. I guess Duke is doing it this year with three in top ten, I think. But with... I don't think it's because Kentucky's not trying to. No, that's the thing. I I think with the combination of all that you just mentioned, and I don't know, you look at all these different options kids have now, it's not just the G League thing. It's this overtime elite thing, which I don't really understand what that is. Um, You can still go overseas and and go pro over there. Like, There's more options. There's more colleges that kids are going to of these five-star kids where they're just randomly going to like a Vanderbilt or a uh, a UW-Milwaukee or whatever. That it just feels like we're dispersing away from that. Like everything we talked about yesterday with Damian Lillard, like, could he be maybe the start of superstars stopping teaming up and forming these big threes in the NBA? Feels like maybe we're headed that way in college. I'm I'm really curious the effect specifically it's going to have on recruiting because the effect it has on recruiting will therefore ripple throughout every other aspect of the sport. We're gonna talk to Scott Chasen of Fog.net coming up here about exactly that in 20 minutes or so. He's Derek Johnson. I'm Nick Schwartz. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You already know that if you need a car wash, you need to go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. They've got all the tools and expertise to keep your car clean, both inside and on the outside. You want it clean inside because if anybody gets in your car, they're not going to want it look like a pigsty. Plus, you're going to want it clean of all those germs. You want to clean on the outside because if you're going to be pulling up in somebody's neighborhood, maybe going to see a friend, They're going to see the outside of your car and go, wow, this guy, he knows what he's doing with his car washes. That's because Tommy's Express Car Wash is going to take care of you. Their wash packages let you pay for the services you want, including Tommy Guard, 
and body wax. That's right. Have it looking real spiffy. Wheel cleaning and tire gloss, underbody flush, and spot-free rinse and vacuums as well. If you're like me, you have a dog. I have a golden retriever. She sheds so much. So I need the vacuums at Tommy's Express Car Wash, and boy, do they have them. They do them right. That's wash, rinse, repeat with Tommy's Express Car Wash. And don't forget to download the Tommy Club app today and enjoy endless washing for one low price. That's at Tommy's Express Car Wash. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Schwert and Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Scott's actually the one who brought this song up to me earlier today. I wasn't on Twitter. He mentions the song. I listen to it. I go, why do I know this song? I know it because it came out, but why do I know it more recently? And then almost simultaneously upon wondering that, I saw the video. I saw the video of Coach K walking into the press conference. He starts clapping and uh, wanted to throw my computer out the window of my third-story apartment. But I restrained myself because I thought, you know what? Rock Chalk Sports Talk is coming up later, and that's actually what's happening right now. And that guy who told me about that song, Scott Chasen of Fog.net, joins us now on the show. Thank you for uh, ruining my morning. How you doing, Scott? I'm good. You don't you don't love this song? It's a classic. I I would love it if it were not for the the context of what it's become with Duke basketball. You have nothing to say on that? Yeah, I was waiting for you to follow up. I mean, look, I feel like everyone loves the song Every Time We Touch. It's a great dance song. It was a part of many of our childhoods, if you grew up in the right generation. And, yeah, I think Coach K is, uh, or maybe Duke basketball single-handedly, is trying to ruin the song for the rest of us. But uh, I look at it the other way. Um, I looked at the confusion on social media this morning when he was just out and about dancing to this song. Uh, and the, I mean, sharp contrast to the image that Coach K has portrayed basically throughout decades and decades of college basketball, and I found it utterly hilarious. Uh, just because if you had told me uh, that I would wake up today and see Coach K dancing to this song, I never would have believed you in a million years. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have even believed the idea that Coach K was aware of the song. Like, oh, is that the song they play? When I'm making last-minute adjust- pregame adjustments, like the fact that it's something that he is not only aware of but seemingly uh, very in tuned with was a bit of a surprise. Do you think if, like, okay, you know, you know the hum that they play at KU games? Yeah, for sure. Objectively speaking, is that a better pregame song than "Every Time We Touch"? I mean. The thing that's weird about every time we touch is most like hype songs or you know pregame whatever you want to call them have either something to do with like winning basketball, playing well, doing something cool, being awesome, um, you know, uh, not whatever that song is about. I truly don't know what it's about. I'm guessing it's something romantic, but I um, I have not done a deep dive on the lyrics yet. Maybe that's coming next week. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just a weird kind of, I mean, it's a, it's not a bad song. It's an exciting song. It's got a good beat. It's catchy. People know it. Uh, kids clearly still like it today, even after, you know, it's probably, if I had to guess at least a decade old, uh, you know, it's a good song. There's nothing wrong with it. Uh, but you know, yeah, it's, it's not really a basketball song. I, I was trying to figure out what Kansas could do because like the hum came to mind or, um, I, I don't know what the song is called, but you know, the one that the band times up with like the clock and they finish as the buzzer sounds pregame, yeah. you know, I, I can't imagine Bill Self playing along and, and dancing to one of those as he comes out, uh, for whenever it does happen, his, you know, I'm stepping down press conference. No, but now I'm imagining Bill Self dancing to one of those songs, and it's 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 just as funny as watching Coach K actually dance this morning at his deal. Hey, what do you think this does? It, it, does this have any effect on Bill Self and Kansas moving forward, specifically as it relates to recruiting, knowing after next year, no more Coach K, and now it's John Shire running that program? How do you think that affects Kansas, if at all, recruiting? 
Yeah, I, I really don't know. And, and the reason I say that is just because the way that transfer recruiting has been so different. And a lot of the times, you know, yes, Kansas is, as a blue blood, winding up on, you know, the top list for a lot of different transfers. But a lot of guys in the transfer market have chosen to go or, or have chosen to go uh, to places that aren't necessarily the elite of the elite programs. Like, yeah, Brady Manick went to, to North Carolina, sure. And, you know, I'm trying to think what Christian Bishop, he was, you know, two of his three schools were blue bloods. The other one was Texas. So uh, a lot of guys are, but, uh, you know, it's kind of thrown a wrench in this where, you know, let's say this coaching change, let's say Duke is still landing really, really, really good prospects, but let's say they take a step back and they aren't, you know, quite able as much to, to get, you know, the, some of those top guys that they're used to getting. Maybe they go a little bit harder in the transfer market. Maybe now that makes things more difficult, you know, honestly, for Kansas in, in that perspective. So uh, I think it could have a lot of different kind of, um, you know, different possibilities come from it because I, I think the most natural thing to say is Coach K landed a lot of really, really good players. And if Duke has a, you know, not so great year or two, do people – you know, start to become a little bit more hesitant. Honestly, I probably doubt it because Duke is, you know, what Coach K has built it to be. But, you know, I, I could see it helping Kansas from the perspective of if there's a little bit more uh, or, uh, you know, a lack of stability or perceived change or anything. Um, sometimes that opens, you know, new doors for you. But, you know, at the other side, like I mentioned with the transfer thing, uh, that really throws a wrench in it because if Duke does kind of hit a little bit of a wall with some of that top talent, who's to say they don't just say, okay, let's go harder after transfers, and maybe that's something that ends up affecting Kansas too. Yeah, it'll be interesting how this year goes because regardless of what coaches' philosophies are, everybody has dipped their toes into the transfer portal market, whether they wanted to or not, and I'd imagine there's going to be sort of a, a split from here because it'd be really easy in a very small sample size of one year for coaches to say, okay, that didn't work. We're not doing that anymore. Versus if a team like Kansas who who went out and, and got a lot from the transfer market ends up having a really successful season and, you know, who knows, maybe ha- end up hanging up a banner. Like, would it shock you at all if Bill Self just said, okay, you know what? I liked that. That worked. This is better than going out and getting 18-year-old kids, if I'm only going to get them for one year, either way, I'd rather have the seasoned college veteran. But I don't know. Like, Can a blue blood get away with doing that? Can a blue blood get away with basically not ignoring high school recruiting, but making it less of a priority than they have for um, basically as long as they've been going out and building programs? Well, isn't that the great equalizer, if you think about it, from the perspective of maybe how the NCAA situation has hurt Kansas? Because you could say there have probably been guys, there have definitely been guys, who have been a little hesitant. You know, Kansas has recruited well, but there have been some top guys uh, who have been a little bit more hesitant to consider Kansas because of all that going on. And then you say, you know, okay, if you're a transfer coming in for one year, especially obviously grad transfers, but I feel like most transfers, especially immediately eligible, if that's going to continue on and on, they assume like, hey, I've got a year, maybe two years and I'm going, even if they have more eligibility than that. And in most cases, it's going to be a guy with one year or two years to play. And I think those guys could honestly have more faith. Now, obviously, we may get an answer on what's going to happen in Kansas by the end of the summer, and, and suddenly that doesn't matter. So maybe that's just for one class. But that applies to a lot of different things. You know, Bill Self isn't getting any younger, and well, uh, certainly I think he's like 20 years younger than Coach K, so he's probably nowhere near retirement. That's another thing. As coaches get older and older and people worry, and, you know, if Kansas has, which is, you know, for the first time in the last few years, not won the Big 12 every year, you know, if people got ever got nervous about anything, again, I just see the transfer market as a, as a way to stabilize things. And, and again, maybe that's less at Kansas because you kind of have to talk yourself into a scenario by which either one, Bill Self isn't successful, that hasn't really happened two years in a row, and, and really one year in a row, depending on what your definition of success is. And two, you know, the other situation would be this NCAA thing finds a way to drag on for an even more significant amount of time than it has, which I don't, you know, totally see that being the case either. But, you know, like you said, if Bill Self has success with something, I think generally he tends to stick with it. He's shown the ability to adapt with, you know, playing four guards and, you know, maybe we'll even see to an extent going five out at times. So uh, it wouldn't shock me if they went more in that direction. But, you know, again, I, I think there are so many changing dynamics, be it professional leagues, be it, you know, just guys, 
having endless options to, to kind of bypass the college route at this point. I think coaches will have to be resourceful and creative. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that Bill Self probably does better than a lot of other coaches is, you know, yes, he can feature top talent, but he's also really good at just finding a guy or making a guy fit in a way that other programs probably wouldn't see. And I think that's probably, you know, the best kind of value too, when you go on that transfer market and you can, you know, you have more film to view a greater sample and you have the ability to kind of plug and play. Talking to Scott Chasen of Fog.net here on Rock Chuck Sports Talk. Uh, over the weekend, KU football got seven new additions. Six of them formerly played for Buffalo. Another one of them had formerly committed to Buffalo to play under Lance Leipold. And all of them now are going to play under Lance Leipold and his coaching staff at Kansas. How significant is that for this team this year? Yeah, I, I think it's stabilizing from the perspective of not all those guys are going to start but it probably makes you feel a lot better as you start to like build it too deep and look at a roster. And, you know, the last two days I've been uh, publishing pieces on fog.net, just my best guess at a too deep roster before, you know, it's really early in summer workouts, not even every guy's on campus yet. And then obviously before the fall, but you look at it and I think I had maybe, I want to say seven newcomers cracking the too deep on offense. It's not necessarily a starter's, um, but on defense, it, it was a much smaller number than that. And, you know, I, I think only one or two maybe starters from guys who weren't here last year. But I think it gives you depth. I think it gives you comfort. I think it gives you the chance to uh, bring new players in who are familiar with Lance Leifold's coaching and his culture. You know, the guys I've talked to um, have stressed really that family atmosphere and have said, you know, basically that they know Lance Leifold is going to look out for him uh, or them in their best interest. Uh, so they trust him and that they're going to, you know, kind of carry that message on to everyone else and let them know uh, that they can trust him, too. And I think that stuff is really important. You know, Kansas hasn't been in a situation like this. I know you've talked about this before. Like, past coaches, Kansas hasn't really hired a, you know, what, a sitting head coach since would Turner Gill be the last one if I'm thinking through it. And, and just like you, you don't often get the chance, one, to bring over all these guys because normally there aren't waivers that make everyone, a, you know, eligible immediately. Uh, and two, you, you normally don't get to, to bring in this many, you know, this much of a connected staff and a connected team. So, you know, uh, immediately I looked at the over-under, the win total for Kansas on the season. I think it was at one, you know, set by Vegas. I'd feel very comfortable. Uh, betting the over on that. I don't think Kansas goes winless, and I think it's you know a much better chance they'd win two games than zero. Now, if that moved, I, I wouldn't feel the same way, but I, I think these additions just stabilize things, and they definitely improve the floor of the team, even if you know the ceiling for year one still isn't going to be great. You know, Can Kansas find a quarterback? Does Kansas have good enough wide receivers to win the battle on the outside? Will the offensive line, it'll be improved. How much improved? You know, I'm, I'm not sure any of those things um, maybe other than partially the offensive line were, were addressed. But, you know, at the same time, I, I still think, you know, you, you bring talent you're familiar with. It helps with evaluations. It helps, you know, with players leading players and, and comparing guys to guys you know. Uh, I, I just think it raises the floor of this KU team and probably in a pretty big way. How long do you think it's going to take to get the offensive line to the point where it's it can be competitive in the Big 12? And how much does scheme and and what they try to employ both on the field and off the field in the types of players they recruit, like how much does that impact their ability to, to get back to relevancy there? Because I mean, we could talk about a lot of different things about last year's team, but I think at the very top of it, Scott, is the fact that that was barely a Division One caliber offensive line. Like, How do you go about fixing that if you're this staff? Yeah, well, here's the good news for that. I, I mean, one, you can look at a guy like Mike Nowitzki and say, okay, center, you've got it solved. And, you know, even if you're, you know, even if, wow, he struggles with the jump up in uh, competition, you've got Colin Grunhardt, you've got other guys there. Uh, I, I think you have more experience for the younger guys who shouldn't have been playing who were. You know, think about it. Kansas, at times last year, was starting, I believe, three freshmen on the offensive line between Bryce Cabledew, Armaje Adams, and uh, Garrett Jones at center. Very rarely, you know, if ever, do you want uh, a freshman playing, even if they're good enough. You usually want to have a veteran. Um, maybe at the end of the year you work a guy in, but uh, even if they're good enough, you usually want a veteran guy, as you know, uh, you know, in that place. And I think now Kansas is in a position where, you know, just myself looking over the two deep, 
there are no first-year players or incoming players that I have, at least in my projection, um, that would be you know in, in positions to start and or, or even be on that too deep in the first place. And I think the youngest starter I have projected would be Cable Lewis, right tackle. I think Michael Ford, a transfer from Buffalo, uh, I think he'll have a chance. He was, you know, probably going to start at right tackle there. He also could play guard um, just because he maybe doesn't quite have the size compared to some of those other Big 12 guys. But I think Cable would be the one that, like, you know, hey, he got some playing experience. He got a year of experience. There were high hopes for him. Maybe he's the kind of young guy, that second-year guy that you play on the line. But everyone else is going to be uh, much, much older with multiple years of experience. You know, Malik Clark will be at a natural position left guard. I actually think the line next year, you know, if everything breaks right, I actually think it can be competitive. And I actually think it can be uh, a decent line compared to what KU has had, which isn't saying much. But, you know, typically the definition of that is even if it's ninth or 10th in the Big 12, is it ninth or 10th in the Big 12 by a wide enough margin or, or last in the Big 12 by a wide enough margin that it's just a disaster? And I don't think that's going to be the case. Now, moving forward, Kansas is going to lose a lot of guys. But I think the one thing that Les Miles and company did, uh, you know, they stocked the roster. I think they brought in some interesting uh, O-line pieces. Corey Robinson's guy that, you know, I'm, I'm really interested to see and excited to see what he has when he gets up here. Um, there are just a number of kind of incoming players, I think, already in tow that you have to trust Lance Leipold's development. And uh, I am going to say his name very slowly to make sure I pronounce <laughs> it correctly. But Scott Fuchs is actually how it's pronounced. It rhymes with Rooks, the chess piece. Or so be books. very careful about that. Yes. Yeah, you have to be very careful. Or books. Yeah, I guess that would be another very easy way to do that. Um, I, I think you have to trust his development and what he did with the Buffalo O-line. It will be a little bit of a different scheme. I actually think that's why it's important uh, to make sure you have the right guy in at center. Um, and, and I think for guys like Armaje Adams-Reed, I look at him and, you know, he has all the talent in the world. He's probably too big. He probably needs to be more mobile. He needs to cut his weight down. Well, now you've got a year to do it, right? Like, no one is counting on him immediately because they have these returning super seniors, especially Chris Hughes will be coming back from injury. Adagio Lopetti, if he needs to be a guy to step in, you know, he can probably step in at either guard position. Um, and if they needed him at center, although I don't see him playing there just because the other guys they have. So, you know, I just think it's kind of a good situation where you have some veterans. And even if they're not the best, even if they're not the most talented, you're not, you know, you're able to work with those younger guys and developing into what they need to be rather than, I think, throwing everything at them immediately. Sometimes I think that experience is good, but also sometimes I think it can be harmful. And in this case, I think those guys having the chance to sit back and learn could really, really be a huge deal for KU in the future. June 1st marked uh, a day a lot of coaches, football and basketball, have been waiting for and it's the ability to get to see these recruits in person so you don't have to rely completely on video scouting you can bring these guys in on campus football and basketball specifically for for these two programs and you don't need to necessarily uh highlight one or the other i'm just curious from somebody who who covers recruiting and knows what it's normally like versus what it has been like how weird is it going to be what's this month going to look like with all these coaches kind of getting back to normal with how they go about their recruiting practices? Well, it's going to be busy. It's going to be crazy. I mean, Kansas basketball is set to have, I think, like eight or nine guys or maybe seven or eight now, um, you know, just kind of coming through for visits. And I think a lot of it's still in flux. Kansas football, you know, I, I've spoken already to 20 recruits who uh, were planning visits for the month or have planned visits or coming up with camps. Uh, and then a guy comes up on June 1 that no one knew about anyway. So um, it's just going to be that kind of a month where guys are coming in and out of campus. You know, I, I think a really interesting kind of like experiment slash question is, you know, is this month more important for KU basketball or KU football? And I'd almost probably argue KU football just because of, especially with this new staff and, and being behind in a different way. Like normally, normally when you're a coach, and you take a new job, you know, November, December, whatever, you're way behind for putting together a recruiting class. But kind of the one benefit that you have is that you've already put together a recruiting class. So, you know, a lot of the time you can either dip into that or you have other guys that you were recruiting and that your staff was going after. What kind of made things tricky with how the, the coaching change worked in Lawrence was that, you know, Lance Leifold comes over, and a month later, now recruits can visit everywhere, and he may not have 
you know, those same relationships. And, and the same with the assistants that you're losing. You know, they had a lot of relationships with guys who now are going to say, you know, I'm probably not going to visit Kansas. The assistant that was recruiting me isn't there anymore. Um, I think keeping the five assistants they did was really important for that. I think Lance Leipold also has inspired some confidence just with guys he started to reach out and talk with, and the same is true of the assistants. Uh, but it was kind of a tricky time for that to happen just because there's so much thrown on their plate now. Um, and, and what you've seen is Kansas has adjusted. They've set a few camp dates for this summer. And, yeah, like I said, I mean, I've talked to 20 guys, uh, you know, football targets and recruits who are planning to be on campus or want to be on campus. And it wouldn't shock me if by the end of the month that list is double or triple or whatever uh, just because it, it's so much in flux right now. So it's, it's a crazy time, I think, for everyone. He is Scott Chasen. You can check out his work, fog.net, 247sports.com. Always appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All righty. That is Scott Chasen. With Derek Johnson, I'm Nick Schwartz. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. All right, I love this, man. We got a, a suggestion... A submission, I should say, for Cool Guy of the Week. So far, we've only got one Cool Guy of the Week all time. It was Phil Mickelson going out wearing his sunglasses and his gator skin belt and winning the PGA Championship a few weekends ago. So far, he's the only recipient of the Cool Guy of the Week award ever. We may, we may have our second recipient and then we're going to decide this together. This was passed along to me courtesy of Rock Chalk Talk. Does this have to be unanimous though? How do we decide? What if I vote no, you vote yes? Yeah, well, we'll, we'll just figure it out. Okay. Um Steve of Rock Chalk Talk. He was on uh It's I was always confusing when I say Rock Chalk Talk on a show that's called Rock Chalk Sports Talk. People are going to have an aneurysm. So, um let's just call him Steve. That's his name. He was on uh He's on with us for uh, RCST Trivia. I believe he lost to... Andrew Wymore. Yeah, that's right. And he said that. I, I lost the to the champ. Well, you lost to a Final Four contender, so that's pretty Phenomenal good. Phenomenal Four. Phenomenal Four. Sorry, copyright. Okay, so here we go. Devin Conway is the man being uh, submitted for... Cool guy of the week, and I don't know anything about his. I'll just read it. I'll just read to you the headline here, and you tell me how much of it you understand and how cool it is. Devin Conway, wow, the Kiwi hit 200 runs off 347 balls on his test debut for New England. He is the first batsman to score a test double century on debut in England. He is the seventh man to score 200 on test debut. First off, do you know what sport I'm talking about? I do. Okay. What sport would that be? Cricket. Okay. And and how familiar with cricket are I'm you? I'm a cricket expert. I know you're not. Um, in fact, I have a bunch of cricket terms in front of me. Okay. Is this what you're just going to do the whole time? Is just throw out cricket terms while I talk? Agricultural shot. Uh, so... He broke a 125-year-old record. Around the wicket. For the highest score by any batsman on debut in a test match in England. Cartwheel. I mean, 125-year-old record breaks, that's pretty cool, right? Even if you don't have an understanding of a sport. Lapa. Stop it. I'm, I'm going to strangle you. I swear I'm going to. 125-year-old record. Set in 1896 in Manchester. This guy's name, the guy who, whose record he broke, W.G. Grace, had scored 150 in his debut uh, against Australia back in 1880. So anytime a 125-year-old record falls... I feel like that is that is worthy, right? That's worthy of cool guy of the week. Without having any level of understanding on how this sport works or operates, I feel like this guy is the cool guy of the what week. What if you break a record that we deem to not be cool? Like what what's another example of a record that you just wouldn't want to break? 
longest time without having had sex? You know? I don't, I don't know. What are other cool, what are other uncool records? How about in sports? You know? Uh, it's like, it's like being the Dolphins winless. I don't, this is, like, this is an impressive feat. Come this on, you've seen feat. some of those Guinness World Records where it's like, uh, longest time keeping a half deflated balloon in the air. Yeah. It's like, is that cool? But this is a sport, man. It's a hard sport. Mm-hmm. It's a popular sport. Not in these parts, but it's popular in other places. I say Devin Conway, cool guy of the week. What say you? Okay, let me ask you something first. Uh-huh. If there was a soccer record broken, where would you sit on this? Ooh. Uh, it, if it was 125 years old, I would, I'd give him the nod. There was one broken that was about 118 years old this week. And what was the record? I'm not going to tell you. It wasn't, was it? You're making no. this up. Just wanted to play out the hypothetical. I would do it. Okay. Any record that's over 100. Because here's the thing. The stuff that happened, like, unless it's like, like old Haas Radburn. Mm-hmm. Didn't he pitch like 400 innings in a season? I'd believe it. Just go look at, like, Cy Young's stats. The reason the trophy was named after him. No, Old Haas Radburn's the one who has the ridiculous pitching stats. Okay, here we go. Not 400, 678 <laughs> innings in one short. He went, in, in, in 1884, he went 60-12 and 12 with a 1.38 ERA. He pitched 678 innings with a 1.38 ERA. He made 73 starts. All 73 of them were complete games. Love that. Only one pitcher more innings pitched in a season. Who's that? Will White. <laughs> Not quite the name a recognition of old Haas Radford. 76 appearances, 680 innings pitched. You know, 255 ERA, so not quite as good. No, dude. You went, uh, Here's what I love. Look too. at a picture of Will White, though. I mean, it looks like if, if James Naismith was, like, 100 pounds skinnier. I That's why I look at these numbers and I feel like it's like, you, this was rec league. <laughs> this was beer league softball is what it was. But even then, I feel like if somebody in a beer league softball league went 75, 73 games, 73 starts, complete them, and was untouchable, 1.380 ERA, I feel like we would take note of it. And here's the other thing. Not only did he make 73 starts, all 73 were complete games. The manager had the audacity to call him in for relief on two separate occasions. This guy has given you full outings, complete games, every time he pitches. And on two other occasions, they're like, hey, man, he's sitting there. He's sitting there, ice in his shoulder, his arms about to fall. He's like, can you go maybe? Can you go give us a couple? Yeah, the other guys, you know, they're not as good as you. So... Sure could use a couple extra, if you wouldn't mind. 441 strikeouts that year in 1884. Uh, okay, so here's actually what it's going to... Here's how it's going to go. Where There is going to be a cool guy yeah, of the week Yeah, but it's submitted. not going to be this cricket guy. It's, it's not Devin be, Conway. It's, yeah. it's old Haas Radburn. I'm good with that. And now I'm starting to think the cool guy of the week award needs to go to old people. Phil Mickelson, Old Hoss Radburn. I mean, who's older than Old Hoss Radburn? Right. It's in his name. And, uh, you know, his the prime of his career was in the 1880s, so I'd imagine he's not around anymore. Is that? Do we know that? I hate preemptively I, killing people. I feel people. very certain because otherwise he would be like 140, 160. Could Old Hoss Radburn hit? Oh, no. Yeah, he was. T- I mean, he did hit, but he was terrible. Career batting average of two thirty-five. It's serviceable. It's good for a pitcher, yeah. Serviceable. Uh, not a lot of power. Nine career home runs. But like you're talking about a, a, a one hundred sixty-two game average of two thirty-five. Uh, two home runs, sixty-four RBIs. It's going to strike out quite a bit. 
Have you ever met somebody with the name like who gets the nickname Haas? That's like not like a cool person. I don't think people really do that anymore. Do what? Call people Haas like long term. Let me say it in, in like one setting. Wasn't uh Oh, what's the name of that? I always forget if it's Pawn Stars or Yeah. The other one, the one in Vegas. Chumley. Oh well yes, there is Chumney lately. That is a character. Uh the the name of like the the main owner, the dad, but then he he passed it off to his son. Or I guess it'd be the grandpa in this case. Yeah, I thought they just called him the old man. I thought mm. I thought they just called I him the, he was a hoss. I thought they just called him the old man. Uh yeah, Richard Old Man Harrison. Mm. I can't believe I believe that. Oh, the son. It's the son. The son is Haas? The youngest Big son. Haas? The youngest son. So okay. the third. Yeah. They call him Corey Big Haas Harrison. Ah, there we go. Pawn Stars, one of the greatest reality shows mm. ever. How have we not done the less ranked stuff of reality shows? Write it down. I'll add it to the list right now as we speak. Pawn Stars is up there. But uh, Old Haas Radburn, yeah, sorry. So I, I feel bad now because, it, you know, Steve obviously listens to the show, liked the segment, brought it back. Poo-pooed all over And then guy. we just said, no, great job for you, the cricket guy, but his, we don't even... How about un- this? His status is pending. You know, undecided. It's like, okay, it's, it's it kind of feels like a one-hit wonder. Like, you did it in your debut. What are you going to do next? Like That's the other thing. This is a preseason game, essentially, right? Oh, I mean, I, it's, it's a I tryout. I don't know about that. You said it was testing. Test. It, they, I don't know what any of that means. Uh, we need somebody to explain this to us because otherwise, like, we wouldn't, if if somebody went in a preseason NFL game and had the greatest preseason yeah. of all time, yeah. okay. we're not putting them in the Hall of Fame. All right, Steve, if you want to explain this to us, then I'm willing to hear it out. Maybe he can be cool guy of the week next week. But this week's, you know, let's give Old Ross mm. Hadburn his shine. How many okay. career innings are on that arm? 4,527 and a third innings. How many records do you think he owns? (laughs) But that was like a lot of pitchers back in the day. Okay, so wait, you said almost almost 5,000 career innings pitched, right? Yeah. Like 4,800. Right now, the career active leader in innings pitched is 37-year-old Zach Greinke with 3,012 of them. He would need nine more seasons of 200 inning ball just to match old Haas Radburn. Uh, Wait, say that again? Nine more seasons where each of them he pitched 200 innings, which that is like a sacred mark to hit in a season. Just to to come in that 48. How many guys pitch 200 innings anymore? That's the thing. It's not that much anymore with all the pitch count stuff. It's like you could get Max Scherzer, Garrett Cole, you know, Justin Verlander might get up there. Usually it's a handful of guys, maybe 10 guys. Are Cy Young's numbers just not up there? Like, how do they... Cy Young, okay, so 45-27 innings. Cy Young had 7,356 innings pitched. Oh, my goodness. And he owns every record. Yeah, he He owns owns the record for wins and losses. Wins, losses, uh, games started... Complete games, innings pitched, hits, earned runs. Batters faced faced almost 30,000 batters in his career. And he had a really good like ERA. He had like a 2.8 ERA. 2.63. Lifetime. Lifetime. But he never had this. But here's the thing. Okay, wait, this is insane. He's here's, here's what I'm thinking. Cy Young, good, but he's like the Jason Witten. Of pitchers because he pitched forever. He pitched from for two decades. Olhas Radburn was in and out. Okay, ten years in, I'm done. Yeah, this is this is a problem too. Cy Young averaged three point four strikeouts per nine innings. Jacob Degrom nine right now for the Mets is averaging fourteen per nine innings. They weren't striking guys out yeah. back then. Get a little swing and miss one time, Cy. <laughs> but Radburn, neither one of <laughs> nobody was. Like, let me ask you this. Do you play? Do you play softball? I mean, I have, I don't like actively. 
Okay, I want to talk specifically about old Haas Radburn mm-hmm. because he was older. He he played a little bit before. Like when he was getting out of the sport, that's when Cy Young was getting in. He was done by 1890. Cy Young came in and, and pitched for 20 years after that. If, if you could transport back in time with everything, with all the skills that you currently possess, and you step into the box, let's say you get four at-bats <laughs> against Ross Hab- R- Old Hoss Radburn. Mm-hmm. One prime time, 1884, I mean, at his peak, he's pitching complete games almost every time out. No, every single time out. Every single start, he's going complete game. 1.38 ERA. What's he doing to you? Are you are you getting bad on ball? I, I mean, I have no idea how fast he was throwing. That's the problem. But I, I did just do a quick Google search, Cy Young, and said he would hit as high as 93. I'm not hitting 93. How, how would they test that? How did they know? <laughs> I don't know. They'd have like a car driving in the parking lot going. They didn't have cars that went that fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm serious. Like, how did they know how fast? I don't know. That's the thing. If it's if it's under 80, I'll be able to get. I, I don't know how much damage I'm going to do with it. You know, it's not slow pitch softball, right? Yeah, it's I, under I, 80. I'm not I'll asking get if you're. Contact. I'm not asking. I'm not asking if you're hitting bombs. No. Okay, it's 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 1880. I don't think anybody's yeah. really hitting. Bombs. If it's under 80, I'm making some contact. Maybe some ground outs. I work my way to a single. All right, we got to do some research on this. I, I want to see what's in the pitching arsenal of these guys from the 1800s. Uh, we got let's Reg stuff coming up later this hour. This is Rock Chuck Sports Talk. Support for today's episode comes from Manscaped. Father's Day is just around the corner, and you probably need a gift for a hairy dad. Make your dad proud this year and get him and yourself the Manscaped Lawn Mower 4.0 and Ultra Smooth Package. You know what they say? Like father, like son. The brand new Lawnmower 4.0 and Ultra Smooth Package is perfect for you and the dad in your life to complete your grooming game. Get 20% off plus free shipping when you use the code RCST at manscaped.com. The Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer is now available in the USA and Canada. What makes this waterproof trimmer different from all the other trimmers? Uh, let's start with this. 7,000 RPM trimmer featuring skin-safe technology to keep your balls in check and help reduce manscaping accidents around the world. A new multifunction on-off switch can engage a travel lock created for jet setters. The Lawnmower 4.0 gives you the ability to turn the 4000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. Additional guard lengths with sizes 1 to 4 to let you trim your liking. I love investing in the best new technology and advancements, and I'm blown away by the performance. The craftsmanship and details on the 4.0 are seriously next level. Get 20% off and free shipping when you use the code RCST at manscaped.com. This is the perfect package for you and your dad's perfect package. Get 20% off plus free shipping when you use the code RCST at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com with the code RCST. It's dad bod season. Time to get smooth. So I went on a road trip last weekend to Colorado. Eight hours in the car on the way out, eight hours in the car on the way back. I'm going on another road trip. I plan my my vacations horribly this weekend. Eight hours up to Wisconsin, eight hours back. There are a few things that you need to have with you when you go on a road trip, aside from the necessities that are going to keep you alive. You need drinks, mm-hmm. coffee, water, Gatorade, pop, whatever you want. But most importantly, Derek, you need to have snacks. I had snacks with me on the way to Colorado. I'm going to have snacks with me on the way to Wisconsin. Now, there's the beef jerky snacks. There's the protein bars. There's the things that are actually going to fill you up and and not be horrible for your body. We don't care about those things. As we embark on another edition of the most self-explanatory segment in the history of Sports Talk Radio, Let's Rank Stuff. We are going to be taking a look at the top 10 fruity snacks. Whoa. So I didn't know exactly how to say it. If you want to call it fruity snacks or is it fruit candy? Would you rather just say fruit candy? I think fruit candy sounds better because fruity snacks, I could argue fruit is a snack that is fruity. Yeah, and nobody's taking a banana. You can, Actually, people will take a banana, but then what do you do with the peel? Mm. Throw it out the window? Yeah, it's biodegradable. Well, what if a car comes and slips and you it falls off? <laughs> It happened in the to the O'Doyles. 
and Billy Madison. <laughs> All right, we'll call it fruit candy. The top 10 types of fruit candy. Number 10. Number 10. There's a lot, by the way. So a lot didn't make the cut. Number 10, Welch's Fruit Snacks. These, Ooh, don't often, yeah, these don't often get brought up with the other kinds. I think it's because Welch's makes them and they almost product them and promote them as if they are not bad for you when they are indeed fruit candy, just like all the rest of the fruit candies. But they're but, slightly better for you because they're made partially with real fruit. Right. I would yeah. I would love to compare the, the, cal- the caloric intake. I would love to compare the sugar compared to the two because I would imagine they're right in line with everything else. Can we all agree that the best Welch's fruit snack, the the best uh, type of little fruit candy they have is the strawberry one? I'm the kind of guy who You're just... You're a wild berry guy? Oh, you just I toss just them all I just eat back. them all in at once. Yeah, I just... Strawberry one's the best. I'm not a purist like you. Mm. Number nine. Number nine, Sour Patch Kids. Wow. A lot of people might have that number one. A lot of people might. I got them number nine, and I, and I hate doing this when people say, well, why didn't you have them higher? I put them in my top ten. You should wait and... I mean, there's... I guarantee you this. There are... There is a going to be multiple snacks that get left off the list that people would say would be number I one. I mean, if you're if you're There's Kansas so basketball, if you're Duke, Kentucky, North Carolina, you content with the season where you finish number nine? Probably not, but I don't see them. I don't see uh, Sour Patch Kids as a blue blood. I see them as Louisville, mm. right? I see them as uh, Ohio State. You're a good program. You're consistent. You're relevant, but you're not a blue blood. You're not the elites of the elites. So what's docking them here? Do you just not like sour stuff? I like sour stuff. I just think that that's the other part. Is like if you're going to be sour, then be the best at being sour. And Sour Patch Kids are not the best at being sour. What? Foreshadowing. What is? Yeah. Stick around to find out. Number eight. Number eight. Fruit roll-ups. See, I, I always got fruit roll-ups confused with fruit by the foot. I, I immediately was thinking it was fruit by the foot, so I'm glad you clarified here. Fruit by the foot's the one that's fruit actually by the foot better than fruit roll-ups. The problem with fruit by the foot is a lot of work, yes, limited payoff. I would argue the same thing with fruit roll-ups. No, fruit it roll-ups- is so hard to get like the thing unwrapped without it actually like. Have you ever that's actually why you roll pulled it a clean one I, you off? You wrap it up like you're wrapping a joint, like you're rolling a joint, or like rolling up a carpet, okay. and then just bite pieces off like a stick. There's With so many the different plastic on there. There's no. You take the plastic off first. But like it is so about? hard to get it off of the plastic clean. No, no, dude, come on. It's easy. I'll show you how sometime. It's your technique. It's got to be your technique and your giant baboon hands. <laughs> you're a, you're a big guy, so it, it takes some delicacy to uh, to get down to fruit roll-ups. But I think yeah, they're superior to fruit by the foot. Love these as a kid. Love when there's little there's little stars and shapes that you can poke out. I love just stretching it as much as you possibly can. You're gonna give me so much grief for this. I don't even know why I'm bringing it up. Have you ever had like the organic fruit roll-ups? Like the homemade kind? No, not the homemade. They sell them like sometimes in the fruit sections of no. grocery stores. No, and they're the same idea, but they're like made with real fruit, so they're better for you, quote unquote. They're actually really good. I'm not gonna give you. Why did you think I would do that? I don't know. I, I'm, I'm all for you uh, bettering your health. Okay. Good for you, bud. Number seven. Paying off? Uh, yeah, that's definitely. definitely number seven. This is going to ruffle some feathers. Skittles. At I number seven. Skittles are very overrated. I do, too. I don't even think I'd put them in my top ten. Really? Yeah. I Honestly, I feel like I'm sort of cheating on myself here because I don't even know if I, they're in my top ten either. I guess I'm giving them credit for... Just withstanding the test of time. Like, they have been around for so long. They still kill it in sales. They have so many different variations. I think the sour Skittles and the tropical Skittles are both better than the regular Skittles. Like, the regular Skittles are the worst version of Skittles. Which is a problem. The wild berry Skittles, also good. So, that is a problem. You're right. But I'm giving you bonus points for... Longevity, and I'm giving you more bonus points for the different varieties that you have, or which are all quality candies. There are certain candies that immediately make me thirsty because I'm already thinking about when I eat them, I am immediately wanting a gallon of water afterwards. Skittles is one of them, and I don't like that. I don't like the way they just like disintegrate in your mouth, and it's just you're you're faced with the reality that they that is just plain sugar and nothing else. Number six. Number six. I wanted to bump this up higher, but just didn't have room. Fruit Gushers. 
Yes, wonderful. The only problem I have with Gushers is there's not enough. There's not enough in the pack. I want a big family-sized Gusher pack. I open it up. There's hundreds of Gushers in there. Fruit Gushers, incredible. That feeling when you bite down on a Gusher and the juices explode throughout it your gushes. mouth. Yeah. There's nothing like it. There's How nothing quite like it. How many times as a kid did you open the package and just stuff them all in your mouth? All the, uh, the when all they the would time. be stuck together. Yeah. They'd be stuck. It'd yep. be one giant gusher mm-hmm. all the time, yeah. dude. All Very wasteful. The time. Not savoring it, but delicious. No, it's like mainlining it, though. You know, it's just like taking a big old gator tail of gushers. Nothing like it. Gushers coming number at number five. six. All right, we're at the top five. This is Let's Rank Stuff. The top 10 fruit candies. Number five, Haribo gummy bears. Mm, no. 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 In general? It's like picking vanilla pudding. I don't know. It's I boring. disagree. They are vanilla pudding in their marketing. They are vanilla pudding in their packaging. But they are not vanilla pudding when it comes to the actual product. The product, my friend, mm-hmm. high quality. What I love about gummy bears is they make you work to eat those. They are not <laughs> soft. Like they, yeah, yeah, you know? They are just sort of squishy and bouncy, and you got to really go to town on them. And that, that to me, the, the labor, it's like nothing worth having comes easy. And Haribo has taken that to heart by making it somewhat difficult to get to the the digestion point of their candy. So you gave them credit for being bad. Yes. And they're tasty too, though. Like, I will say that. Like, the pineapple tastes like pineapple, you know? (laughs) Schnozberry tastes like schnozberry. Yeah, exactly, man. I love them. Number four. Number four? Nerds. No, I don't love nerds either. Nerds are pretty much like smaller Skittles. So here's the thing with nerds is I'm also, like I did with Skittles, I'm giving nerds credit for their spinoffs. I don't think you should be able to do that. The nerd rope? Then rank the nerd rope. No, I'm, no, it's just the family. Or the, the family See, I'd be cool with the nerd rope being top I want you to try one of these. And, and sitting in front of me are the nerd mm-hmm. gummy clusters. But, okay, rank these then. This, but this candy alone? Delicious. Tell the, give the people a live taste test. Top five. No, tell them. Just um, explain that. What, what fruity, chewy, and crunchy all in one. Isn't that perfect? <laughs> yeah. Isn't that way anything you can want from a candy? They yeah. have like, they have a nerd, I think they're called bumpy beans. Bumpy they're beans. They're nerd jelly beans. Mm. Or they're jelly beans, but they have like the nerd bumpiness on the outside. Those are really good too. Dude, I love these nerd gummy clusters. If if I we were just ranking individual variations or types, like specifics, it would be number one. It is the number one candy. But again, we're, we're doing the fam. I'm giving the family credit. I'm saying all Skittles, all nerds, nerds. Because of the gummy clusters, comes in at number four. If it was just nerds, like just the boxes, it's not top ten. It's right? not top ten. But with nerd ropes, nerd gummy clusters, they're coming in, and the nerd bouncy beans, top Bumpy four. Bumpy beans. Bumpy beans. Number three. On to the metal stand. Number three, Jolly Ranchers. Delicious. But if you're the number count- one suckable candy. <laughs> okay, but also Jolly Ranchers has a bit of a variation to it. You can get like. Um, Jolly Rancher gummies, uh-huh. which are very good because they taste just like the Jolly Ranchers. They have ones that are like Starburst Jolly yeah. Ranchers. They have the like Gusher style. When you were in college, did you ever take like a cheap bottle of vodka and put Jolly Ranchers yes. at the bottom? Yes. That was I fun. think everybody did that at some point. Yeah. I kind of want to go back to doing that. Did you ever think it actually like impacted the taste of the vodka though? Yeah, that, but you'd have to put a bunch. very slight. Well, you'd have to put a bunch in. Uh, very slight though. No, I disagree. Maybe the problem was when I did it, I was using like the plastic bottles of vodka. You're using cheap vodka, yeah. and you're putting one Jolly Rancher into a, a <laughs> 750 milliliter bottle. Like it's Why not going to do much. Why did it taste like it? Number two. Number two. Sour gummy worms. Three words, one candy. Not brand specific. Two flavors on each p- trolley. Trolley. Okay. Sour gummy worms. It was tough for me to not put them number one. I mean, think about it. Each worm has two flavors. Mm-hmm. Who's heard of that before? It's incredible. They're the number one sour candy. I give them a huge bump over Sour Patch Kids. I think the biggest thing for me with sour gummy worms over Sour Patch Kids, the texture. Not quite as tough. A little more squishy, a little more pulley. I like that. I like that in my texture. I like the flavors. I don't really know if the flavors matter. I can't really taste the difference between them. But if I had to pick, red and blue, obviously. Always love the red and blue one. But uh, yeah, sour gummy worms coming in number two. This has become apparent to me. You don't like sour things. Because I put sour gummy worms Sour gummy two. worms are not that sour. Well. I mean, they're very... I, I sometimes don't even notice they have sour stuff on them, to be completely honest. 
So I think you're giving that a bit of a slight. I'll say this, though. You missed an opportunity here. You shouldn't have done sour gummy worms. You should have done sour animal creatures. You would have what? been able to open the whole universe here just as you did with the nerds. You have sour octopi. octopi. You have oh, sour yeah. gummy worms. Okay. You have every type of animal. You can okay. have a sour version of it. Uh, yeah, I, know, I know what you're talking about. The, yeah. pe the peaches. Sour sharks. What about the peaches? That's not an animal, but... How about just yes. trolley sour candies? Yeah. Can I just do that instead? Yeah. Is it too late for me to go back? No, but the only question now is, would it have been number one if you would have opened it all up? No. Okay. But it still has its rightful place at number two. Number one. The number one spot on today's list of the top 10 fruit candies is Starbursts. We've had a, a jar of Starbursts sitting around the office lately i dumped out the entire it was all full of all sorts of candy i dumped the whole thing out stole all the starburst brought sure, everybody the else in the office appreciate yeah that. now now you guys know if anybody uh, around the office is listening it was me i took all the starburst out of the jar that's supposed to be for actually like clients and visitors and people who come in but instead i made it all about me and you too so mm -hmm. you benefited from it but starburst you, you know the deal i don't need to tell you anything about it um there's nothing like it there is no variation there is no substitute nobody's even bothering to try and be like a starburst imposter like everybody in the candy community has kind of looked at what starburst has done and just said leave them alone they're the top dog they're the king we can't touch them and just like your nerds there is an overwhelming family of great starburst you can get starburst that are like the gushers i've had those before they have ones that have sour stuff on those yeah. those are really good they have uh, different flavors the of tropical starburst. stuff tropical it, yeah. they're all still good so some candies that got starburst left off the list beans. yeah starburst jelly beans really tasty don't sleep on those Speaking of which, here are some that got left off today's list. Twizzlers. I, 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 don't, I do not understand the infatuation with Twizzlers. Uh, jelly beans in general, uh, they're for children. You know, step your candy game up. Sweet as fish. Lifesavers. Sweet tarts. Laffy Taffy. Ooh, I was a big Laffy Taffy fan as a kid. Older, though, not as much. Just gets stuck in your teeth. And I docked them points because they're getting lazy with the jokes. Go, go find a Laffy Taffy. Do they not have jokes anymore? They're, they're, they don't make sense, and they're not funny. Uh, are they anti-jokes? I don't know. Cancel culture, probably, mm -hmm. right? That's what we blame banana everything one, else on. You like Yum. the banana ones? That's the best the, one. The worst one. Oh. The strawberry one's the best. Ah, banana. All right, we're not making this about Laffy Taffy. We're making this about the good candies, the top tens. That is Let's Rank Stuff. He's Derek Johnson. I'm Nick Schwartz. This is Rock Chuck Sports Talk.